and hello, good people of the internet. It is I, Tommy Kelly. This is Adventures Mubu, and welcome to the next batch of question and answers that we do here on the channel. There'll probably be a couple of videos out of these because we have got a good few questions, and some of them I would want to spend a bit longer on. And uh, rather than rushing through everything, we could separate them up into a few videos. But we'll get into some questions, so let's do that now. It is quite warm day here in uh, Ireland. The office is quite warm, sweltering heat. The office being a large tin can, you know, it gets really cold in the winter, really hot in the summer. What more do you want? It just means that I can't have any fans on when I'm recording. So if there, you see some sweat dripping off me, or if you see my glasses steam up, just ignore it and pretend it's not there. So let's get into these questions. Abraxas. Most spiritual practices tend to lean towards non-confrontation and peace. Peace, man. Do you think violence is every answer? If so, when? I do. Uh, just, just, just to answer the question. But I suppose that we say that most um, spiritual outlooks, you know, kind of focus on non-confrontation and peace. I suppose in a way that's maybe not always been the case, because if you look at some of the old religions or some of the old philosophies, you know, they had things like animal sacrifice, they had things like human sacrifice, they had many a thing that we would kind of <laughs> not associate with peace. But I suppose what you mean, the kind of more recent ones, although you could make an argument and a well, you know, a good argument, things like Christianity or uh, any of the Judeo-Christian type of uh, religions, while they purport to be peaceful and non-confrontational, they are in fact quite, quite the opposite in many ways. And the cause of many wars, many confrontations and many disgusting acts of violence and, you know, trauma. With Christianity itself, you have this whole idea, I suppose, of Jesus saying, you know, that if someone hits you in the face, that you turn the other cheek. And it's kind of, I suppose, presented as that, you know, it's just, you never get into violence, you don't become confrontational. But Jesus, I suppose, uh, it could be taken, that scene, that uh, there's a bit of a fuck you in it. Like, it's kind of, someone thumps you in the face and it's like, you just go, is that all you got? You know, I have another cheek. So that's, but you know, you could read it as a confrontational thing if you don't quite just agree that it's, you know, just lay over and, you know, if someone wants to do something bad to you, just let them do it, which I don't agree with at all. I don't think you should have to accept people doing shit to you just because, you know, you're trying to be more spiritual or something like that. I think you have to stand up for yourself. I think you have to stand up for all those around you. And I think one of the reasons that the whole peace and love and stuff kind of thing has led in many ways to where we are now is that people spiritual people, a lot of spiritual people have just kind of given up in the world. Apart from that whole thing of that, to see it as an illusion or not real or a dream or something, and so it doesn't really matter, or that the other stuff we've talked about before, where they think that their real uh, home is in heaven or somewhere else. And so in a sense, it doesn't matter if all this goes to shit. It doesn't matter if the entire, you know, human race falls apart or dies out, because it's not real anywhere or it doesn't really matter. And I think a lot of the peace and love stuff has come from that as well, that it, it adds to it at least that there's, you know, you just kind of let whatever's going to happen, happen. You don't engage, you know, if someone's going to be bad, you just let them. And I think, you know, that's not a great philosophy of life. I think you should punch Nazis. If you see a Nazi, punch them. If someone's doing something shitty, you should call them on it. Someone's doing, particularly if they're doing it to you, or if there's bullying going on, that you, you know, you interject and you stop, you stand up for people, you stand up for what you believe is right. 
And this whole kind of notion of staying out of it or just letting it be or whatever it is that people kind of ushering on the end of civilization or the end of the world is, is a good thing. I think there's something very selfish about that or self-orientated and something just looking out for themselves or there's a sense of it in it as well that I just can't quite get to but it's there's a cowardly aspect to that to just letting the world go to shit or just not helping anyone it doesn't matter so I don't like that and if you've been reading the newsletters or any of the things I've been doing recently you can see that part of what I'm trying to kind of cultivate in myself is this kind of notion of always being the light in every situation and sometimes the light in the situation is violence and I don't think you should go out of your way to cause violence but I don't think you should let people walk all over you I don't think you should give up on the world I don't I think you should fight for the world I think you should fight for humanity for all that we're doing here and what you know we could do I think we could look out for each other a bit more and then when you know people come and try to take your stuff or take over your country or try to whatever it is, kill your children or do horrible things, whatever it's, then, you know, attack like with like and stand up for yourself, stand up for what you believe in. Don't turn the other cheek. You know what I mean? That's my, that's my thing. I think violence, I don't think you should go out of your way to engage in violence. You shouldn't be the first person, say, to uh, necessarily provoke it. I suppose it's a bit like anger, where you can say, oh, anger's all bad, it's all bad. It's not. It's justifiable anger. And it can be you know, useful and kind of to you know, suppress any of these things in the right context, I think is unhealthy. So to answer your question, do you think violence is every answer? Yes, I do. Coco Macno. Coco, Coco Macno. Sorry about that. That'll never happen again. I know you've done some work with Telemic stuff. 30 Days Star Ruby comes to mind. Have you done any other Telemic rituals or been to a Gnostic Mass? If so, what was your experience with them? I have not. I have done very little actual practice of telema or telema, whatever way you want to um, pronounce it. Uh, I've been told it rhymes with dilemma, which seems fitting. And one of the reasons, I suppose, that that has happened, that I haven't really engaged in any just kind of, like, say, a Gnostic mass or something, is in real life, I don't know anyone who's into magic. I don't know anyone who's really into spirituality. I don't know anyone who's into awakening. I don't really know anyone who's into meditation. And I've never really been around people that have... Um, in my early 20s, I kind of hung around with uh, a bunch of druids and got to know them a bit. But they never really shared anything of what they knew, if they knew anything. In hindsight, it's, I, I'm not sure they did. And then after that, other than, say, Spud, Sephirion, Joe from CMG, Max, or Beanot, that's about the only magicians I've ever met in real life. And none of them live in my vicinity at all, remotely. So this kind of notion of, I've ever been in an Oscar mass? No, or I've never seen them or any done any kind of ritual in that kind of sense. Because I don't know anyone who's into it. There's never been an opportunity. And I know you should be the change you want to see in the world and all that. But if you if I wanted to do an Oscar mass, I, I there would be no one in my vicinity that I'm aware of that would have any interest. And I suppose I could go travel um, to the bigger city, Dublin, possibly or Belfast, and there might be stuff going on. I'm sure there is actually stuff going on, but uh, it's just not something that's in me. I'm regard to Telema in general. On my shelf, I have a wide array of Crowley books. and I have all uh, the Equinoxes and all, all the standard ones that everyone should have. Um, and I've read. I've read most of the Equinoxes. Some of the stuff I just had to skip. I just couldn't, I just couldn't get into it. And I've read it. But I'm, I can't say I totally understand all of it or grasped all of it or retained all of it. But I like an awful lot of the outlooks of what it presents. Some of it I don't. And uh, if there was certainly... An opportunity to go to a Gnostic Mass, I certainly would. The Flying UFO. 
if you have the ability to hear and see spirits, are you able to see the 40 servants in physical form when you call on them? First of all, just to clarify, the 40 servants are not spirits, not, uh, as I said, they're servitors, thought forms. And I know you can say, well, what's the difference? Well, it all really depends on your outlook and all of these things. But for me, spirits, well, I, I can't create a spirit, right? Because it's just me. I'm just, just a guy, not a god, not any of these things. And uh, spirits have their own kind of life goals, seem separate, you know, that have something. An awful lot of spirits maybe were once human and then became something else, although that's probably more getting into the ghost territory. But I'm thinking about, like saints or holy people or something like that. And then any of the deities themselves, you know, probably predated, they certainly predated me and probably, uh, depending on who you ask, predated an awful lot of uh, human culture. So I couldn't create a spirit. I also don't think they're spirits, even the ones that are kind of somewhat based in spirits. And there are ideas, thought forms and servitors. That's not to kind of downplay the notion of servitors or ideas or these kind of things. It's kind of to push it up to the level of, I think, how effective ideas can be. Ideas are the only thing that changed the world, the only thing that's ever changed the world. To answer then your actual question, can you physically see them? I assume you could. I know that people have talked about seeing servitors, their own servitors before in real life. Alan Moore has a couple of stories about, of course, seeing John Constantine, Constantine, whatever we want to pronounce that, um, once in a canteen and once during a magical ritual. And he's fairly convinced that that happened. Of course, you know, you would go John Constantine, but like he's based on Sting, you know, so there, I mean, it's like pop culture, idol. That was turned into a, you know, a kind of a uh, comic character that then seemed to take on a life of its own, you know, and had, I suppose, in some sense, a form of autonomy within himself if he's turning up and uh, saying hello, giving a wink to the creator in, um, you know, a canteen. And back in the day when I was doing a, a webcomic called Road Crew, there was the main character and that was called Jim Sandman. And I had a number of people you know, five, six, seven people would uh, or did email me and say that they met Jim Sandman in real life. Not necessarily where they talked to a, the exact same character, but they'd see him on the subway, they'd see him on the street, there'd be something where they were just sure that it was this character, you know? So, no, I personally never seen him though. But myself with the 47s, I see the symbol an awful lot in certain places and in certain kind of weird setups and, you know, like rope on the ground will be formed into it and it always kind of happens in a very you know kind of apt situation or you know there'll be something going on and it's always like a sign from the universe or that kind of synchronization a bit like what happens when you know your number if you have a number i know a lot of magicians have these three digit number that seems to follow them around i certainly do when that appears that it's like is there something as if saying either you're on the right track or be aware of this or something like that so i've seen that but i've never actually seen a physical manifestation of it although i do know I know what the feel is, I know what the presence of them are, of each of them individually, and I can recognise when they're about, or when I call on them and stuff, but actually, do I see them or in the same way that I would see, you know, my wife or my son or someone on the street? I haven't. And I've never really experienced spirit in that way, or servitors or that, but I do, there is a kind of a, a connection. Some, as I say, some people have, and have people have said that they have come across servants in real life so who knows it's up to the individual to decide about that and you go by your own experience rather than the experience of others because your experience is going to be your experience and sometimes other people lie so yeah that has to be taken uh, into consideration as well
Lyle, this is kind of leads on a bit from the last question too. When doing spirit bothering, do you feel you've ever received anything useful from your experiments or does it seem like mostly what you've gotten is more on the vague side? So coming from, I suppose, the last question, we were talking about servitors and stuff like that, and getting more specific into spirits itself. Very first real kind of success in contacting a spirit, if you want, is uh, when I got in contact with Ganesha, or Ganesh, whatever you want to pronounce that. I like Ganesha. And I was working an awful lot in lucid dreaming at the time and trying to try and contact entities or whatever it was within lucid dreams. And for some reason, I was able to engage the lucid dream very easily at the time. Not so much now, but at the time, whatever it was, I was able to do it. And I, I, I always had a plan that once I go lucid, I would do something. I had the plan that was ready to go. And so this time I was trying to, to contact Ganesha and I lucid dreamed, woke up in the dream, whatever it was, and I was in the train station. And a train was pulling in on my left-hand side and the station was on my right-hand side. And I came lucid. So the first thing it is, I called out to Ganesha because that was my plan. I, you know, where are you? You know, I, I, I want to talk to you, whatever. And I knew he was coming. You could, I, I had the sense he was coming. And then the train pulled up and the whole platform filled with people. And at the other end of the platform, I could see Ganesha's hand up in the air and he was waving, kind of going, oh, I'm here, I'm here. And we couldn't get, I couldn't get to him because of all these people in the way. And then whatever happened, the dream faded out or it ended. Um, and I was kind of go, oh, that was very disappointing that I didn't, you know, there was all these people in the way of me meeting Ganesha. There was this huge obstacle in the way of me <laughs> meeting Ganesha. And of course, why I'm laughing is that Ganesha is the remover of obstacles. That's one of his functions. So there was kind of a humor in that. I thought that was quite funny. With regard to Ganesha, I and mean, we can go back to the kind of sense that you can have of seeing these people in real, or these entities in real life. I know, while I've never really, never seen Ganesha as, as an, an, an entity or whatever, I have, I know what he sounds like. I know what his voice sounds like. I know what his feel is. And more than any of the spirits that I've kind of bothered over the years, he's the most tangible of all of them, that I have a very, very high awareness of what the embodiment of a Ganesha or the feel or whatever it is. Whereas say with someone like St. Cyprian, no matter what I did, he didn't care. Never showed up, never got any sense of him. Even went to Romania to go look at his relics. And uh, this was never, never a connection. Same with Morrigan, I tried, no connection. Same with Hecate, uh, no connection. A lot of these things, I just really, they never really, never really gelled or never really got anywhere, no matter what I did. Whereas Ganesha kind of did. The one that I suppose really connected uh, was, well, in, in many ways, is the, the Holy Guardian Angel. And I'm very aware of that presence. I'm very aware of that, in a sense, of while not a communication of that I can speak and ask questions while I, I could do divination, but uh, and I don't have the knowledge and uh, the total knowledge of conversation of the Holy Guardian Angel, because that, that involves an actual union where there's no separation between you and the Holy Guardian Angel, which I certainly don't feel that. I don't feel, I feel there is a still, I don't feel that I am, you know, in union with the divine at all times and that there's no separation between me and my holy guardian angel. So I kind of say I have knowledge of, but not communication with, but I do have some communication with it, uh, uh, certainly. And it has helped and has guided in many ways, but probably more in the vaguer ways than you were, t you, you were alluding to. The one that has never been vague or whatever, even though at the time felt it, is the communication that myself, Spud and Nogan did with Black. Who, will, who purports to be Secret Chief uh, or one of the members of the White Brotherhood. And if you read the newsletter letter post, I did all about the, commu the communications from Black. You can see that there's nothing really vague about it at all. 
it's everything that is said relates to other stuff that is said. So if there's a line that just sounds very vague and, oh, what the hell is that? Is that when you refer it to the rest of the communications, the answer is very clear and not in any way vague at all. Whereas if you take things individually, if you only take one sort of communication as a, on its own, it doesn't really make any sense. And you can read whatever you want into it and you can certainly approach it where you can put your own agenda on it in general with the, uh, these sort of communications. But in, until you see them all as the black stuff all together as one unit, that's when it all falls into place and it all makes sense. And it doesn't really make sense separated. So at the first one, say, when you're doing it, it's always very vague. By the time you get to the end, put it all together, spend a few months living in a very bizarre world where everything changed and fell apart and your perspective changed and everything, and then come back to it and piece it all together. It was not vague in any sense or in any way whatsoever. And the final message, everything in it came true. Yeah, so yeah, not vague at all. And uh, although I understand why you're asking the question, because it often can feel vague and it can spirit bothering and it can all feel like, well, even with sometimes with divination or, you know, particularly with syn synchronicities where you go, oh, that's a synchronicity. But for what, like, for what? Is it saying yes? Is it saying no? Or is it like, what's that wink mean? Oh, what, what's going on? And you can kind of go, well, that's quite vague. That's not, you know, it's not really helping me. In fact, it's, it's making me question the whole thing a bit more. You know, if you were looking for, should I do this? Should I do that? And then something synchronizes and you go, well, it's not telling me either way. Well, so it's kind of, if you approach it as we need to, I suppose, in ourselves need to be less vague about how we're approaching them so that there's no sense of ever getting a vague answer because it's a yes or no, or it's, you know, it's a very definite. I will, you know, if you're asking for $50 and you don't get $50, you didn't get it. You know, that kind of very cut and dry so that you don't allow for vagueness. Yeah, finding, finding the, the spirits that, you know, resonate with you be tough because you can spend a long while as I did when no one cared. I mean, even when I was doing like stuff with ancestors, which, you know, is, it's meant to be the easiest thing to do because they're meant to be on your side, whatever didn't seem to care. You know, there was one point years ago where I was doing a lot of ancestor work and it was like, whatever, I was going nowhere. Got that kind of sense of, you know, what are you bothering us for? And then one time I got really angry in a ritual when I was kind of talking to them or whatever. My, my general thing is I called them up and just talked to them like they're in the room and then go by whatever sense impressions I got. But I got really angry because I was really broke at the time. Things weren't working out. And I was going, you better fucking help me here. Come on, <laughs> you're meant to be on my side. And things did change very dramatically, very quickly after that, to the point that I was going, well, maybe I should start shouting at spirits a bit more. And then I suppose that's you get when you can get into the whole like uh, commanding spirits and all that, which I, I'm not sure I want to spend my life shouting at uh, invisible things in my room. Nathan, what model of magic do you primarily work from? This is a good question because I mean, this, the, the very easy answer what I could say is chaos magic. It's not necessarily a model of magic, it's a philosophy of magic, really. And so when we're talking about model of magic, we're talking about spirit model, information model, the mental model, the whatever, the, the ones that have all worked out by Phil Hine back in the day and others. And I suppose now these days, my approach to it would be a bit of all of that. I, I really do like the approach of chaos magic where you're acting as if something is real and seeing what happens. Because ultimately, we probably can't work out what's real, what isn't real, what's true, what isn't true. Because, you know, like from our perspective, things are different than the perspective of a bird. And what's true for me isn't necessarily true for him. And for me to think that what I'm seeing is the truth and what the bird is seeing isn't the truth, it's putting yourself 
at the top of the interpretation train or plane or diagram or whatever it is that you go, what, I, what humans experience is the truth, what everyone else isn't. And so if you look at something even as simple as a, as a table, and we go, it's clearly a table, what else could it be? You know, or maybe it's something to lie on, it's a piece of wood, and you know, but we have a concept, we have a name and a form and we have it. And so that's, we, we know, well, of course we could say, oh, it's these other things, but it is a table. But to my dog, it's not a table. He's no concept a table. He just sees a thing. And because we put it, kind of put ourselves in this hierarchy where our interpretation of things are, is correct, we can't really often see that, no, it's not a table. We can have a mind game around and go, oh, imagine it isn't a table, what would it look like? But we still at the back of our minds, I think, if your brain is anything like mine, and I won't speak for everyone, maybe your brain isn't, but we still kind of think that, yeah, but it secretly is a table, though, because that's our concept. And so then the chaos magic thing of the approach of going, well, well, what if you just, you know, come at this from thinking this is the truth about the world? What if you approach this problem from an energetic model? What if you approach this problem from a spirit model? And what if you approach this as a Christian? What if you approach this as a Satanist? What if you approach this as, you know, an atheist? Whatever it is, whatever. So that like model of magic that's most allowed me to navigate the spiritual spheres has been chaos magic even though at times I definitely didn't feel like a chaos magician. You know, but that's, you know, I, if you're doing chaos magic right, there should be many times when you don't feel like a chaos magician because you've paradigm shift and you've totally believed where you've gone, which is, that's the point of it. But the paradigm shift of chaos magic is it's not that you half believe it or you pretend you believe it. In order for it to work, you have to believe it. So as a chaos magician, when you're engaging with something like Buddhism, you have to believe you're a Buddhist. And I do, or I have to believe I'm in, you know, embedded within the energetic model and I can do that. Or I'm a theosophist or whatever it is. And when I'm doing that, that's who I am. But I always then, it seems like this cyclical thing of a vortex going up. And so there's like five or six different things I constantly hit. One being Christianity, one being Buddhism, one being magic, one being enlightenment, whatever. There's like a number of different things. And it's like I'm circling around these things, but it's not like I'm going nowhere. It's like, so I hit, Jesus and learn a bit about him and then I go around oh, and I go through theosophy and then I come through Buddhism and each time I'm slightly getting higher and higher by the time I hit Jesus again or whatever it is it's a different higher version of that and then you go right and then you move around you go through theosophy again Christianity magic whatever different things and then each time you get back to Jesus it's a higher version of that Jesus you have a different appreciation or outlook or perspective or understanding or wisdom around it same as that when, when I hit theosophy again or when I hit when I come back through Jesus and uh, theosophy when I hit magic again or you know when I come back to have more of a new age feel or an energetic feel or whatever it is when it's this kind of spinning vortex that has you know several points on it that I seem to fluctuate through um, it's a different, higher, I would hope higher, maybe sometimes you do have to go down because you've missed something, but a kind of appreciation of it. And that ultimately feels like a chaos magic approach because it's so eclectic and it's kind of uh, at each level, you have to paradigm shift into actually being that thing as you move around. So yeah, what model, whatever one is where I'm at at the time and I stopped trying to make myself stick to one of them. I suppose if you're being creative, that's a better way of putting it. That when I'm spending time and I'm, uh, all I want to do is draw. And then it's kind of feel like I'm neglecting music or neglecting writing or whatever it is. And then I go into music and it feels like I'm neglecting art or writing, or whatever. And what I've just found 
that rather than having that kind of look, goes, that's just where I'm resonating at the time. This is the band I'm just resonating with at the time. It means nothing in regards to the other bands. This is where I am with my spirit model. It means nothing. It doesn't mean I've, I've rejected the energetic model. I'm just in spirit model at the minute. I'm just hanging out with the Buddha at the minute. I'm just hanging out with Jesus, Madame Vilbaski, whatever it is. And rather than thinking that I somehow have to feel guilty or that some sort of sense that all of the other things aren't as real or aren't as legit or that I've left behind, I've just let go of that whole feeling altogether because I know it's cyclical. As a good theosophist, I know it's all cyclical and it'll all come around again. And some days, some weeks and some years, I'm more into art than I am into music. Some years, weeks, months, I'm more into meditation than I am sigils. And some, it all comes together it's, uh, by the end of it. Lehmond, what's with all the wife swapping <laughs> once you channel information from angels? Dee and Kelly and Parsons and Hubbard. Were Parsons and Hubbard's really dealing with angels though? Was that not more Babylon that they were doing? They were trying to invoke Babylon rather than angels. I used to know an awful lot about Jack Parsons. I was really into him for a long while, but my retention on an awful lot of these things, if I don't stick with it, kind of falls away. Um, but my my memory serves more that it's uh, it was a Babylon invocation than angels. But uh, I'm sure there's angels somewhere uh, uh, in the, the Parsons Hubbard thing. There's a few ideas around this. First thing, of course, is that Edward Kelly, Charlton, possibly, was just lying. And he made it up because he wanted to, uh, you know, have sex with John Dee's wife. That's like it's that's the uh, most parsimonious uh, Occam's razor version of it. Another one, which I think I've only ever heard from Gordon White, but I don't think it's particularly his. I think he heard it from somewhere, was that the original instruction wasn't that they had to wife swap. The original instruction was that the two of them had to copulate, that they had to have sex. And that was so abhorrent to them that the kind of the only thing that could think that would be fairly similar was that if they swapped wives, then that was in one sense that they were copulating or a union. So that was the idea of the, those, those Kelly and Dee becoming a union together. If I haven't heard that from anyone, I know it doesn't appear in Jason Lives' book about Dee. So um, I'm not really sure where that came from. I'm pretty sure I heard it from Gordon White. I should say the other kind of thing about all this is that the morality of these angels are certainly in question and they don't seem to in any way have tried to ever help Dee or Kelly or look out for them. In fact, you know, Johnny, you know, yeah, he lost all his books. He lost all, uh, all his wife and kids. Horrible life. You know, he was often pleading with them for money just to continue. And the angels were like, no, we're not interested. And they lied to him about certain things or at least presented things in, in ways that weren't fully factual. So it could, could it just have been them messing with them, thinking this is, oh, let's see if we can get the two lads to swap wives. With the uh, Parsons and Hubbard stuff, I think it was more a thing that anything goes, you know, it, it was just to um, not hold on to any kind of thing to, or cling or grasp to any kind of notions of, you know, modern morality that, uh, you know, you can do whatever you want. And by in, indulging in these excesses that you can, of course, overcome them in, in some way or whatever. Um, okay. Like, well, with the whole wife swapping thing, you could go, why does that always happen in magic? And then go where it appears. Why does it always happen in bands? You know what I mean? What happens when people get together in groups and do rituals together? You know, it's like many bands have fallen apart because, you know, people have slept with other partners or whatever it is. You know, it's something that's human nature too. And I suppose you can hyper-focus on it in a particular 
genre, let's say, that is the occult of the magic, but it's, it's happening all over the place. Wife swapping everywhere. I don't think it's just happening in, in the occult circles, but when you are engaging in the energy that is involved through channeling angels or walking in magic or the create, creative aspect of being in a band or whatever, that you're tapping into like Kundalini energies or sexual energies and all of this kind of stuff that uh, you wouldn't necessarily do if you're working possibly in the mill or something. But I don't know. I mean, I, I think overall, I think it's human nature. I think there's probably a lot of wife swapping happened in the history of mills and milling. <laughs> Shaman Smith. What if any super neato Tommy things might there be on the horizon? I absolutely love the comics, music, servants and the new deck. Of course, that's the Nadana deck which uh, it started to get shipped. So I'm looking forward to people getting their hands on it and seeing what they think. Uh, I was just curious if more such stuff is coming or even totally new things. Also, once again, thanks for all you do. Thank you, Shaman, Shaman, whatever way you want to pronounce that. There is loads of stuff coming out. <laughs> Ever-ending supply. Um, my goal before the end of the year is I want to get them uh, re-released yet again, the, the noir version of it, the black and white version of it, to be on Amazon. I want to get the dice, the 47 dice. I have that completely worked out now in my head. I just have to get it together. It's going to be eight dice and each dice will have an elemental representation of the 47 on each dice. And so that you will be able to say, throw the dice and you can see there's lots of fire, there's lots of earth or whatever it is. I think that's a good approach to it. I'm also going to be reworking the journey, which is the stuff we did over on Patreon when it started back in the day, which is a year long kind of shadow working or self-analyzing or self-inquiry course using servitors for each month there's a different kind of team and all the artworks done all the servitors are created and i did these kind of monograph to you know three or four page things that came with it every month that kind of described it i'm going to put them rewrite them get them better uh, there's a couple of the artworks for the servitors that I want to change because I weren't, it wasn't even happy at it at the time. I'm going to do them possibly in colour because they're wearing black and white. And then I'm going to put it together all as kind of like a box set. Yeah, hopefully that'll be up before the end of the year as well. Mm, I would love to get uh, some chapters out of Turbine Syndrome uh, before the end of the year. I've them written. I have the pencils done for one of the chapters, but it's chapter two of uh, book two rather than chapter one. I have the whole thing written. Um, it's just getting the time. I have the best of, not the best of, the collection of my music, which is both the instrumental and the singles I've done over the last two years, which is called Wish and Without. And that's very close to being put together. Um, I have my album that I talked about in the newsletter is about 80% done. Um, so close to get done. I have that album that I'm doing for the local band, the local metal band. We are, we have six of the eight songs fully mixed. That's going to hopefully be finished in the next week or so. And uh, yeah, there's probably loads of other stuff I'm missing that I want to get get out, get done. Always doing. Catholic guilt keeps me going, keeps me from ever sitting still. Probably missing out on any number of things that I, I want to get done by the end of the year. So just stay tuned. There's plenty coming. And uh, hopefully it doesn't uh, hit people's wallets too much. But of course, it's all, you know, no one's forcing anyone to buy anything. It's only, if, if you like them, cool. If you don't, that's cool. There'll always be the free resources anyway, because um, I think that's important. So I have noticed that over the course of this uh, talk, this vlog, I have gone down about an inch uh, going by the, the screen. So I, I slope down. But if I spent any more time, I would eventually be answering questions from the floor, which <laughs> is probably not great viewing. So good people of the internet, if you want to get in on this, 
then sign up to the Patreon, any level, that helps me out uh, an awful lot, you wouldn't believe, and every month we put up a post where you can leave some questions. Or you can head over to the Discord, and there's a whole channel there called Questions and Answers, where you can leave your questions, and I will do a vlog as an answer at some point after that question is posted. I try to do these uh, once a month, and as I said, there's a lot more questions that uh, we didn't get to today, that we will get to over the next couple of couple of weeks. Not a couple of weeks, week or week and a half. So please support me if you can. Liking and sharing the videos is really, really, really helpful. Um, if you see that me posting on Facebook, please share it, please like it. It really, or you know, on Twitter or whatever it is, it really does help. Because the algorithm on Facebook and social media, I mean, it is so terrible that most of my posts, I think, whatever, I have 25,000 people on the Adventures and Woo Woo uh, Facebook page. And I think if I put up one of my videos, like about six people actually get to see it whatever way the algorithm works. I don't know what the secret codes are. Reviews are great as well. If you can review the, the deck, if you've bought a deck or the book, if you bought an Amazon or, or Turbine Cinema or whatever it is. And uh, yeah, there's PayPal donations, Patreon, all of that standard stuff that everyone who is on the internet looks for these days. But if you do appreciate what I do um, and would like me to be able to keep doing it, then I would appreciate it if you can help me out. But as I said, all of the resources and all of the things I do are offered for free, so you don't have to pay if you don't have to, if you don't want to. That's my best Brad Warner impression. Um, so good people of the internet, until next time, may you be well and may our best days be ahead. Mm -hmm.